Hello, and welcome back to Now Streaming, episode 95. I'm Evan Culbertson. And I'm Liz Smart. And we're watching all the horror movies currently available for streaming on the internet. So you don't have to. This week, we'll be talking about Mario Bava's 1966 Kill Baby Kill, which comes to us from Shudder. I'm sorry you said it wrong. It's Kill Baby Kill. I agree. The ellipsis, There's an ellipsis and an exclamation point. The punctuation is crucial. It is crucial. Before we dive into the Bava film, we wanted to mention that by the time this episode reaches your ears, Oscar nominations will have been announced. And longtime listeners to our babbling will know that we are <laughs> award season enthusiasts. Yeah. This has been a weird year, but interestingly enough, That's despite so theaters late. being closed, there are more films eligible for Best Picture than there have been in 50-something years. Well, because they got an extra couple months to get them in there. I think also the the expanded streaming eligibility Mm -hmm. stuff. Anyway, this is all to say that by the time you're hearing this episode, we will have done our, or at least plan is to have done our (laughs) live reactions to the Oscar nominations, which will be up on the Now Screaming YouTube, which you can watch if you are interested in seeing how we react to this year's Oscar nominations. Mm -hmm. I think that there's been some horror in the mix the last couple of years. I was going to say, probably not really this year. I have year. no hope. Well, there is one, but it's not one that we're a fan of. Which is what? Promising Young Woman. I would not in any way characterize that as a horror film. It's, it's on the edge. It, it's on, I think it's, if there's a, a fuzzy line. I We can't get into it right now. But I, think I think it's think a fuzzy that... line we should stay away from. Sure. But uh, you're right that, that I think that's the closest. And again, I would not characterize that as a horror film. It'd be better if it was more of a horror film, in fact. And I would not recommend that to our listeners. No. However, hope you enjoyed that. Hope you're able to... Hope nothing goes wrong between now and then. And we're able to get that up on the YouTube. But if you are awards enthusiasts like we are, maybe you'll enjoy that. I just got so nervous. About Promising a Woman? <laughs> yeah, about Emerald Fennel getting nominated for Best Director. It hadn't hit me until this moment that it could happen. Fuck. Let's move on to Kill Baby. Kill. This is a Mario Bava movie. I think if you know Mario Bava, then you kind of know what you're in for here. Uh, did you know what you were in for with this? Um, Not really. Because I think when we rolled this on the roulette, you compared it to just other Jalo movies. Right, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this is a giallo. It's not. So I think that's kind of what I was expecting was a giallo, and it wasn't. But I very quickly um, uh, acclimated to then what this movie was throwing out there. Sure. Should we talk about what this movie is sure. throwing out there? I, I think this is like, it's kind of a gothic horror film, but it's like drenched in technicolor. The closest, I mean, it's like a lot of Italian 60s and 70s horror mm-hmm. movies. I would compare the like visual style... Um, as a clear influence on Dario Argento, who I think many contemporary horror fans probably know even better than Bava. Mm-hmm. Um, something like Suspiria has like a, a way larger pop culture like presence right. than any of Bava's individual films. Um, but I'd also compare it to, we were talking about this recently, like Hammer horror films of the 60s. That's what I would compare it to, definitely. It has a very, very similar vibe, I would say, in, to things like other monster movies like i actually think it was really similar to me to like the invisible man i don't know what made me feel that way maybe just like of of a, like ta- the, a tavern and a village full of people there's the kind 30s of... james whale invisible man yes yeah. um but then obviously just this kind of like fog creeping through the graveyard has a very um dracula or frankenstein vibe 
I agree. And again, if you if you like those like really sharp primary colors and you know, grand sweeping, like you said, the fog, the, the drama. Movie, yeah, yeah. This movie's like not not that it's like light on plot, but really it's about mood over plot for oh, sure. Absolutely. There's and lots of there's lots of like relationships and characters and like it's all important. But really, this is a movie for the vibes. That's all like, of my notes are really about like shots, like yeah. really like even just the filmmaking of this movie. What did you like? Did you like this movie? Would you recommend that people go watch it? <sighs> it's tough to say because I do think that the the way that it is light on plot makes it not something that I was like. I didn't ever get really swept up in it. I. I don't know. I really actually am torn. There's a lot of really beautiful moments in it, but I don't know that I really felt like a strong feeling toward it once it was over. It was a little silly sometimes, I think. I think it is a little silly. And again, I think that, you know, if you know what you're in for, this can really just be delicious. Sure. It's vibes. What I was going to say is it's... It's more like, I mean, maybe this is just a reference kind of only for us, but like, I like to throw on a movie um, on the background when I have a Halloween party, right? That's this vibe. Because it's it's all about vibes. It's not necessarily something that you sit down and watch. It's like something that you have on maybe in the background when you're trying to feel those spooky feelings. Uh, But I also don't know that I'd recommend it. Like, maybe for someone who has seen all of the other Hammer Horror movies... But, like, I'd probably recommend those first. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. I would not say... I think I probably like this a little bit more than you. I would not say it's my favorite Mario Bava film. I think that Blood and Black Lace, which is... It has all the color of this, and plus the, like, serial killer fashion world element that was so instrumental in in Jalo films of the 70s. Mm. Um, I like a lot more something like Black Sunday or any of the other, like, the big Mario Baba films. I don't think this is quite on that level. That being said, this is widely seen as a masterpiece by a lot of people. Oh, is it? Martin Scorsese is a huge fan of it. Oh, really? Federico Fellini was a huge fan of it. And I think especially looking at it in context of, again, those pulpy, syrupy 60s horror films, especially British and European horror films, um, even, like, Jess Franco films, I think that this... Certainly has a place there. And again, there are some people who this is their bread and butter. I Yeah, it, it is interesting as you start talking about it because we can start getting into the plot. Yeah, let's, let's... When it starts and it kind of starts off in that way that we... It's actually pretty typical for kind of like a horror movie where you're sort of just thrust into... I wouldn't call it like immediate rest, but like but we're we're thrust into the plot immediately where there is like a woman and she's running away from something. Yep. And she's she's clearly kind of frenzied and manic and she's running from something that we can't see, some sort of monster we're not aware of. And then she goes up and she's standing in a window. She pitches forward and is impaled on um like a sharp gate. Um and the acting is really silly and it's very it's very melodramatic, very overdramatic. And my first judgment of it was kind of like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. This is just kind of gonna be this silly sixties kind of horror fluff. I don't know how I can like really say yeah. that in a more accurate way, but like not nothing that I'm really astounded by. And then literally probably two minutes later. There is a shot of some of the villagers, uh, you know, of this village carrying a coffin, um, like through the town. 
and we see it from someone else's perspective of a, the, the visitor to this town. And he sees them kind of walking over the hill. I think the sun is rising and there's a, they're silhouetted against like on this hill against the sky. And they look like a little bug, like the way that they're carrying the coffin and you can only see their, their legs. And the way this little, this little bug creature is like crawling over this hill. It was like astounding. I was like really, really struck by it. So I understand what you're saying about kind of like, yes, it's, you know, it's fun and it's pulpy and small dramatic, but I understand why great filmmakers consider this a masterpiece because like right away in a movie that I'd already kind of written off as silly, there were, there started to be moments of filmmaking that I was literally like floored by. Yeah, I think that I completely agree. I think that I was sort of going to save this for later, but we might as well talk about it. Mario Bava is the real fucking deal, right? <laughs> like we're we're not talking about even some of the Terrence Fisher or some of the Hammer Horror directors who really were studio guys doing a job, and those movies have style, and those movies look delightful and Halloweeny. Mm-hmm. Um, Mario Bava is an incredible filmmaker. And I think that everything that I like really loved about this film is the direction Agreed. of it. Completely and it's agreed. unfortunate that this is an audio podcast and we <laughs> are going to talk a lot about shots that we liked, but I completely agree with you that there are astounding filmmaking moves in this. It's a very flamboyant, like um, calls attention to itself kind of athletic style, mm-hmm. but I love it. I live for it. There's really intense zooms that sort of disorient you at first. And then like you sort of settle into the rhythm of, what Bava's doing mm-hmm. with the camera. There's Well, there's motion. I wrote this down as well. Um, the, the, our, we should get into it kind of. Our, our mm-hmm. villain is this little child, this little girl. She's she's the, the baby of Kill Baby Kill. Should we explain the plot behind sure. that? Or do you want to... I'll just say really quickly, the first time we really ever see her, and we don't see her because of this is the filmmaking aspect, but we hear her giggling, um, and she's on a swing, and the camera is on a swing. Mm-hmm. And so you, I think you see her legs, but it's the camera is swinging in and out as if it is the child on the swing, and then you hear her giggling. And it's so evocative. Yeah. It's so, like, we are in the POV of this little evil ghost baby and it just works so beautifully using the camera in a movement that I don't know how much they were doing that before and they don't do it a lot anymore so like it's just an incredible thing to see yeah a lot of the camera stuff in this um reminds me of again I'm I'm trying to think of like precedent right like the ways in which something like um peeping tom yes absolutely which was six years before this I believe POV it's very fascinating right it's not just but it's not just the POV shots right the camera has a life of its own in this in a way that like Watching Peeping Tom, Powell and Pressburger's Peeping Tom for the first time, which, if listeners don't know, really is the first... People have called it the first slasher movie. Yeah. It's really, like, the origin of slashers and, um, like, sort of the the more lurid take on serial killers. Mm-hmm. And we just watched... Did you watch it for the first time when we watched it? Yeah, in uh, October for yeah. one of our October movies. Fantastic. So good. Amazing. I highly recommend. But it really... You could feel in the filmmaking that it's a step forward. You don't have to know all the history mm-hmm. to be really wowed by this. I feel as we have a lot of films that, you know, aren't horror films as well, that you watch older films and you can just feel them pushing at the edges of what filmmaking was at Absolutely. the time. And I think Baba's use of color, his use of, you know, this camera movement, the style, there's some really interesting, weird cuts in this that he decides to, like, juxtapose two things with a cut that really aren't what you'd expect. Again, I think we're really fawning over it. Like, the yeah. direction <laughs> of this movie is incredible. It is. Like, it legitimately is, incredible. It's standout, absolutely. But yeah, so there's a, there's a ghost child who's haunting. Um, I, the characters are pretty thinly... 
sketched out here. I don't think we have to talk about Irina Hollander, who's the woman we see die in the cold open. No, um, the Graps family. Dr. Paul is our way in. Uh, a very jalo move to have this this outsider come in. I was going to say also a very like uh, classic monster movie move. I think Absolutely. that's also like how Dracula is. Yeah. Have this outsider come into this town where they're all afraid of the little ghost child. Um, the legend goes that if you see this young girl, then you are marked for death. And probably that if you if you talk about her, then she comes for you, right? Because that's what happens to one of our little they're villagers, is that to, yes. she, she speaketh her name, and then the little girl comes, and then she is haunted for the rest of the movie. Yeah. The spooky little child's name is Melissa Von Graps, or just Graps? I think it's just Graps. The, the Graps family lives in this big, um, opulent castle, so it feels like it would be a Vaughn. It does feel like but that. But it's not a Vaughn. I think it's just Graps. Um, the mystery of her death is part of the, like, what's being trying to figure out in this movie. But she died. It has some connection to the bell tower. Mm-hmm. And now she haunts this town. Mm-hmm. She's spooky. She does a lot of really creepy stuff. Um, well, like, she puts her hand on the window a lot. <laughs> and it works... So well. There's just so many shots of, you know, uh, the interior of a home and people have just finished discussing her. And then there's like a dramatic kind of moment of the camera panning over the window and her little hands on the window. And so she's always around lurking. You should also say the thing that she does, it's not like she's a slasher. She inspires people to go into like a suicidal frenzy. Mm -hmm. She like drives them to kill themselves. Like they go mad. And they they typically want to impale themselves. Yes. That seems kind of like what the vibe is. Mm Mm-hmm. Although I'm not sure, I'm ne- I was never really sure what was going on with the girl who sees her, because then she's in bed and there's like a village witch who comes in to kind of do a spell over her, and she's just writhing around in the bed a lot. I wasn't really sure what was going on with her. Her parents are trying to like prevent it, and then the doctor is like horrified by it all and tries to stop it. So I think they are kind of playing with like how much of it's real, how much of it is like their own perceptions and then the witch is kind of making it worse like what's going on here it's definitely psychological i'm glad you bring that up because i think one of the things this movie is exploring that i think is quite interesting is this sort of like dr paul regards their superstition as like on one hand like provincial silliness yeah childishness and on the other like dangerous Mm -hmm. because people are so afraid they're either paralyzed by fear or it drives them into hysterics and he Part of him coming to investigate and engaging with these townsfolk who are really committed to this mythology is to just be like, stop saying this. Yeah. Stop. Like. <laughs> Perpetuating this myth to your children. Stop treating the village witch like a witch. Yeah. Stop. Like, to the witch says, like, stop doing this. Stop humoring them. Like, hates all of, like, the concept of this being supernatural is driving him nuts. Like, not like insane. Like, it's annoying him. Right. And he gets very frustrated about it. Until, of course, he gets wrapped up in the fact that there is something supernatural going on here. Right. Regardless of whether or not she actually has any power, she is absolutely a ghost. Yes. Like, that's true. That's, like, sort of the tension of the movie. Yeah. You know, as we're getting into this, I don't know that I really want to do a plot recap because, like, it's really just uncovering what happened and meeting characters. Like, we we meet the Elder Graps. And there's, like, a twist, but it doesn't really play into... Do you want to say the twist? The twist is that Paul has a lady friend, um, Monica... And again, I don't really like the, the plot of this is, uh, did not stick necessarily in my mind, but they do a lot of investigating together. They're, they're concerned about the bell tower because it rings sometimes without 
the mm-hmm. cord being pulled. And that, that I, I remember that because it's, I think that's such a creepy image is that's not even like a ghost is pulling the rope. The rope is still, the bell is just ringing on its own as if I guess someone is up there like just pushing the yeah. bell. I don't know. It was very interesting. It's a very compelling image. Um, but they end up going to the Grapp's estate and doing a lot of investigation there because it's Melissa Grapps is the little ghost. They think it figured out. And her mother is one of those, the like... The Baroness. The Baroness Grapps. And she, to me, she looks like the inspiration of, like, the witch in Big Fish. Hmm. Like, she has a black dress. It's very, like, she's very hunched over. And this big kind of, like, gray... I don't know how to talk about the construction of her hair. It's big and curly, and it's all kind of piled up together in this, like, bird's nest of, of a hair. And... Just to cut you off real quick, I just want to bring this up. I'm so glad you brought up Big Fish because I think that we're talking a lot about Hammer movies and Argento and and Jalo films. And I think that uh, Tim Burton is an yes. inheritor of this style. Absolutely. And I think maybe if you're not familiar with the other things we're talking about, especially early Tim Burton, those sort of lurid colors and... Shosiaro and the angles like is absolutely influenced by Baba. I think you're totally right. It, so, especially something like Big Fish that has it isn't just in the grayscale and spiky thing, but more like the way that we also have Edward Scissorhands, where it's right. like pa- the pastels and the and the strong colors along with the darkness. So if you're having a hard time picturing this, I think that Burton is. I'm so glad that you brought up Big Fish because I, yeah, <laughs> Burton is absolutely a student of this style. Yeah, um, the. Twist just ends up being that the lady friend um, is also a Graps. She's Melissa's older sister. She might be younger sister. Oh, yeah. Because Melissa died and then Monica was sent away. You're right. She's the younger sister. And there's a picture of the two of them together before any of this happened. (laughs) I thought this was kind of silly. I didn't think that it really meant anything and it didn't lead anywhere to me. I actually criticized that there's a moment then where after Monica finds out this information, she goes to the graveyard and she sees... It's not the graveyard. It's like the crypt the, under the... The family crypt. Um, under the um, estate. But she sees a a grave with her own name on it, like Monica Graps. Not that she's dead, just that like someday she would be buried here because this is her family crypt. And she like screams. And I'm like, I was like, what? why? Why did you scream? So I think that that like, that didn't really work for me. Those plot elements didn't work for me. That melodrama didn't work for me. The family stuff. The family stuff just, I don't care. I, li- I really like the Baroness Graps. I think she's like, she's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, it's, the plot stuff just did not really, I didn't care. I'm sorry to hear that. I think it's fine. It's not like, it doesn't excite me the way that the filmmaking does. I think it's ins- it's serviceable. We should mention that one of the things they uncover, as long as you're also fine not doing a, any more detailed plot no, no, recap... No. One of the things they uncover is that the ghost, Melissa, as a young girl, was, like, chasing a ball and then was trampled to death because of the, like, town festival and no one... Cared. Cared. Yeah. And so, like, the curse is explicitly on the townspeople for... Yeah, she's punishing them. The neglect. Yeah. So that's, like, part of what's going on here. The climax of this movie is that the witch and the Baroness Graps have a tussle and they both die and Monica has been compelled to kill herself by ghost girl Melissa. It, it just kind of, it's solved by the Baroness's death. It's unclear why. I, I guess like... Her, her spirit and her anger was keeping yeah, Melissa... Yeah, it's, it's, it's her desire for her daughter to get revenge is like manifesting. It doesn't really explain the lore very well. And that's that's fine. I don't, that I don't need it to. Too, yeah. But it does end very abruptly that the doctor saves Monica from killing herself, from throwing herself off the villa. And... 
the witch and the Baroness die, and it's sunrise, and that's, that's the end. Yeah. Um. So I guess it's a little anticlimactic, but again, I think that it's all in service of just like some great filmmaking. The style. Yeah. Yeah. Also, as far as I'm aware, this is sort of trivia, but hopefully I'm not stepping on your toes too much. That like apparently during the filming, it became clear that they weren't all going to get paid. I did. That was my one trivia. That's your trivia. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> no, two weeks into filming, they ran out of money. So it's not super shocking to me that this is like three quarters of an idea. Yeah. And like three it's, quarters it's of a film. It's kind of beautiful though, because like Mario Bava and the cast agreed to do this without pay. So this is kind of a labor of love. That's so interesting. Like, I think people should be paid for movies, obviously. I'm yeah. not saying, like, if you all really loved acting, you'd do it for free. Like, I, I do not feel that way. But it is kind of fun that this, clearly this movie was, they they believed in it enough, and they loved doing it enough, mm-hmm. that when they ran out of money, everyone was like, no, let's just finish it. <laughs> I love the witch, Ruth, the town witch. Yeah, she's great. Major, um... Love witch vibes. Oh, the, for sure, for like, sure. She's very, she's very beautiful without being like, um, I don't know. She doesn't feel like a bombshell, but she is just very beautiful. She's not like an old crone. No, no, no. Or like uh, the Velvet Vampire, which is currently playing on Criterion Channel. It's leaving at the end of the month. <laughs> Something like that. Like where it's, yeah, she's like a hot young witch, but also she's got this like danger about her. Yeah. Very well cast. I think that her performance Extremely, is good. Extremely, yes. Um, very fun that she ends up solving the problem and not our outsider doctor, who really doesn't contribute very much. He no. gets spooked and he runs around a lot, but uh, it's ultimately like witch versus ghost yes. to solve this. That's cool. There's also an interesting piece of lore here that I just want to bring up, that when they perform the autopsies of the women, it's mostly women, I just realized, who are affected by this, but it, I, I guess it's going to be people in the town in general who are haunted by the ghost they put money in their hearts oh yeah which is because of some legend that only with money in the heart will the one who suffers a violent death rest in peace i don't know if that has any basis in either italian or eastern european where the film is set like folklore but it's one of those things where it's it's a great detail it's a great little detail mm-hmm. that it's a specific belief that this town has again if this is based on real folklore and it's widely known and i'm just being uh imp- easily impressed yeah that's fine too i thought it was really nice detail that was a really nice like little thing that person the town this film. feels very real and fleshed out to me yeah i think that's why it reminds me of other things that are like it because i think those those towns the town in invisible man feels very fleshed out to me absolutely These are real people affected by this like supernatural paranormal thing that i think just it works really well the only other thing I really wanted to talk about in this film is the sound. Um, I have dubbing written down. <laughs> a few elements of it. Fold that into. Score is incredible. Yeah. The score is by Carlo Ruscelli, who composed for over 250 films, uh, not just horror films, but it's all this like organ and these this churning bass and these airy strings. Um, the bell, the bell tower, like, works into the score very well. Uh, and it's very simple. It's a lot of churning. It's a lot of just, like, holding an organ chord. But it is paired with the the visuals so perfectly mm-hmm. that I think that it's, it's why the vibe of this works so well when the plot is, like, pretty rote. Is because the music and the visuals are both so, so good. Absolutely. That being said, the audio quality of this print that's on Shudder has a lot of hisses and pops. Oh my god, the static. It's 
It's noisy. It really wears on you after a while. Um, again, with... As we discussed when we watched Curtains, sometimes that adds to the vibe, right? Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I am watching a movie that was made 60 years ago. Yeah. And this is what movie making was like back then. And, like, frankly, like, if it if it hasn't been perfectly restored... I mean, I think it looks great. But if it hasn't been, like, perfectly restored and, like, it doesn't have a new sound pass, I'd rather Shudder host it than not. Right. I'd rather this be available in an imperfect form. I agree. And again, I mean, it's entirely possible, like you said, that a choice was made to leave those hisses and pops in due to... Them For history, out of money yeah. Posterity. making it. True, right? like, true, true, true. This isn't, like, a, a blockbuster deal. It's just... it. Be aware of it going in because it was annoying, and especially when the score is so good and you want to be listening to this, mm-hmm. it uh, it wore me after a while. I have another thing I think any watchers should be aware of: the dubbing. The dubbing. I don't watch a lot of Italian uh, cinema. <laughs> I just dug myself into a hole. Where I'm like, I hate Italian cinema. I don't hate Italian cinema, but I don't like a lot of it, and. One of the reasons why, and I can't speak to the history of this or really why other countries did or didn't do this in other things I've seen, but a a hallmark of older Italian movies I've seen is the fact that they did not record their sound, their audio, whilst filming. That that they went in and did it later, dubbed it later with either the same actors or different actors. Um, And this makes me insane. This makes me crazy. I know... That there was a financial reason to do it. I know that it means you could just avoid any kind of sound issues on site, like planes or cars or, I don't know, the director talking to the actors, whatever you want to talk about. Like, I'm, I'm sure it was great to avoid. Or but- just to throw this in, and the fact that a lot of these Italian films had international casts and none of them spoke the same right, language. Right, you could hire anybody and they could just all talk. But I think that, that, that that's I mean, this is, this is a, a weird thing to this do. This comes up in... Um, once upon a time in Hollywood, right? That right. when he goes to make his spaghetti westerns and his his action films, that there's a line in there about him hating that because he's just speaking English and doesn't yeah, speak Italian. And nobody, everybody's like speaking it's, Italian it's a weird, to him. It's a weird way to make movies. as an actor, especially that you're like you can't play off each other in that sense. You're just reciting a script because they can't actually respond to what you're saying. You're speaking English, they're speaking Italian, or someone else is speaking German. It's just it's bananas to me, and so everything is dubbed and. Some of the actors, I, I, I didn't do any research on this, but I feel like the actor playing Dr. Paul did his own dialogue work. I think that he's American because sometimes it sort of looks like the words do line up with what he's actually saying. And, and, and that voice looks like it's coming out of that man's mouth. Whereas the mother of one of the sick girls, uh, it's so obviously not her voice and she's so obviously speaking Italian And then they dubbed it over with English and it just looks horrible and it's distracting and it bothered me so much. And so I really do feel like it's important to walk into this movie knowing that like, if that's going to annoy you, it is the whole movie. (laughs) And it really did annoy me. And it annoys me every time I watch an Italian movie of this time period. Yeah, you already, uh, you already got ahead of everything I would say and all the historical context I would add. That that's just not how the Italians made movies for a long time. It's just not what they prioritized. Uh, this is true of cheap stuff like this, and it's true of Federico Fellini movies. That's, I can't watch Fellini, and I feel bad. I feel like I'm betraying Scorsese when I say that I just cannot stand Eight and a Half. Yeah. I think it's unbearable to watch. I hear you. Um, I think that, you know, 
I don't really have a defense for it, just a historical no, just like, explanation. It, it just was, doesn't yeah. bother me the same way. Yeah. I think I've mentioned on a semi-recent podcast that this is also true of Hong Kong films of the 1980s. Mm. Um, we were talking about sound in some other film, but like they didn't use sync sound at all until the early 90s, and that's that's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. It's wild. I can't figure it out. I've done, I've done Googling on my own to try to figure out why certain film industries, certain countries' film industries prioritize this over others. Because obviously um, Hollywood's been using sync sound since as soon as they could in the reliably in the like 40s and 50s. Right. So I don't. Well, and I to me in my mind, I think it'd be I think that despite however much film you might lose, being like, oh no, there was a car, oh there was some, you know, someone was talking in the background. I think it'd be so much more expensive to then have to pay again. It's new not actors a, it's or It's not whatever. just a budget thing. Sure, but That's I the think important that, thing to remember. But keep this in movie mind. ran out of money. Yeah. It ran out of money. So like. <laughs> how did they pay to have actors, some of the same actors, some of the new actors come in and dub it? Or did they do that beforehand? Is that why they ran out of money? I think there's just like, I have so many questions. None of them will be answered. It's fine. Just be aware of it. It didn't ruin the movie for me, but it it annoys me. I do want to chime in to correct myself here. Sitting here, I was thinking about whether or not I should just re-record what I said before about the score. But as it turns out, as I'm sitting here looking through notes and such... It was not a composed score for this film. It is a selection of stock music, some of which is by Carlo Rustielli, oh. some of which is by other composers that Baba had worked with. As far as anyone could tell, uh, they just literally didn't have money to commission a new score. Well, that makes so sense. Just, they just threw together a bunch of stock music that they had. Yeah. Works. Sorry for misleading you five minutes ago or whenever the hell I said that, <laughs> that it did have a score. It doesn't have a score. Regardless, the music selected for this film and the way that it's used is extremely effective. I don't care that it's not a, a newly composed score. Mm-hmm. It works really, really well. Honestly. Yeah, I think so. I agree. Anything else you want to say about this movie? You said I, I stepped on your trivia. No, no, that was, that was just the one fact I had. The only other trivia fact that I found, I didn't find this necessarily interesting. It's just kind of a funny little fact, and it sort of led me down a spiral. But I don't know how precisely to talk about this, because I think it's really complicated. But... The actor playing the little girl is a boy. Interesting. And they're wearing like a very long blonde wig. And in terms of trivia, this is just like, oh, haha, it's a boy. That's that's it. But it sort of led me down a road in my own thoughts of like, I think that's part of this character's design that I think is good. There's actually a portrait at one point that they see of Melissa um, where that, that's very creepy and... There's something about the way that she is painted and then the way that she's portrayed with this, by this actor where, like, part of the reason she looks so creepy is there's sort of an androgyny about her. She's not necessarily, like, a cute little girl. Like, we've seen that in other horror movies. But she's very ghostly. She's very ghostly and she's got huge eyes and kind of a sharp nose. I wouldn't call her, like, delicate looking. That being said, I don't think that, like, femininity is something she's, like, lacking, necessarily. I don't think that, like... No, it's not about lacking or having... It's not about her being even masculine. It's just that there is something... I think we've seen in other horror movies before and since a cute, a cute little girl ghost. Like, Mm -hmm. a really, like, precious little angel girl ghost. Yeah. And I don't think Melissa is that. There's something, like, different about her that I feel like the actor playing her played into not being a cute little girl yeah i don't know again i don't i don't want to like suggest that there's something like scary about her androgyny or that androgyny is to be feared or that the gender 
complication there adds to the horror. That's I, not I what I'm trying yeah, to say. Like, it's just that there's, I think that there's a direction they could have gone where she's like a, just a cute little mm-hmm. girl ghost and she's not. And I think that that's very interesting. I found it very fascinating. I agree. And also understand why you don't want to over-ascribe too much to that. Right. that. That gets messy quick. Yeah, It does. But I, I agree with you that there is something unsettling about, there's a lot of things unsettling about the Melissa Grapp's like design. And I think it's very effective. So like my perspective is whatever they needed to achieve that. If right. that means casting Valerio Valeri, which is the credited Melissa Grapps, Wild. then, you know, I, I can roll with it. Yeah. Are you ready to uh, bleed to death in mysterious circumstances? Always. Why don't you pull up the roulette and we'll see what will make us shiver and quiver. Which, by the way, is the tagline for this movie. I didn't bring that up at all. Oh, is it? It's literally makes you shiver and quiver. Ugh. Like, look at her. What the fuck? <laughs> She's creepy looking. I hear you. She's not cute. Great title. Kill, baby. Kill. Like, what the f- Listener, Liz is just looking at pictures of this character instead of pulling up the roulette for some reason. It's up. It's just on Google Images. I wanted to look at her and see if the way that she was actually portrayed is how it was in my mind. Even if you don't watch this, go Google image. Melissa Graps. Melissa Graps. All right. Our next movie will be... Jaws 3D. Liz won't read it out loud. <laughs> we rolled Jaws 3D. Jaws 3D. Okay. All right. This is not the worst Jaws movie. Great. I haven't I haven't seen Jaws 2. Is that going to be a problem? I don't know. Where is this available? HBO, HBO Max. Max. Hell yeah. Jaws 3D. This is going to be awesome. Oh boy. I can't wait. Is it a problem I haven't seen Jaws 2? I don't think so. Okay. God. All right, so join us next time for Jaws 3D. I'm terrified. I love Jaws. I, I, Jaws is my favorite movie. I want well, we'll to talk put about, that out there. We'll talk about it next time. I just, I don't want any, I don't want anyone to interpret my uh, resistance here as a hatred of Jaws. I love Jaws. I've never seen any of the sequels. This is going to be so good. Great. I'm so excited. Okay, I can't wait. This movie's quite bad. Awesome. It's just not the worst Jaws, and that's amazing. We've already done a really bad shark movie on this podcast, so I'm excited to do Shark Lake? A, it was Shark Lake. So join us next time for that. We also wanted to give a quick shout out here at the end of the episode, in addition to our Oscar reactions. Oh my God, and it's so relevant to our next movie, Block Island Sound. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. A movie that we fawned over out of Fantasia Fest from our recent Screams episodes late last year was the Block Island Sound. And something we lamented in that episode is not having any idea when or how it would get distribution so that other people could see it. We could make all our friends watch it. Yeah. It's now on Netflix. Go watch it. I'm so excited. The Block I can't, I can't wait to rewatch it. Is a film by the McManus brothers that uh, is. I don't even want to say anything about it. No. Just go watch it. It's really good. It's a, it's a touching uh, family story in addition to a really creepy, um, semi like cosmic. Yeah, force. Force. It's so, so good. It's, it's fascinating. There's so much to dig into with the ending. I I'm love worried it. that I we're love it. overselling it a little bit. I know, but it's great. I hope everyone enjoys it as much as we did when we saw it at Fantasia Fest. There's also a Netflix. We're just like all oh, the Netflix thing right now. Ugh, why won't they sponsor us? Remember when we were a Netflix podcast? The series version of the video game. Detention <laughs> is also now on Netflix. As far as I can tell, it's a Netflix production. It is a Taiwanese video game 
There's also a film adaptation that... We also saw at Fantasia Fest. <laughs> we also saw at Fantasia Fest and loved. And that film, as far as I can tell, still does not have U.S. distribution. It was at the Golden Horse Awards last year. Mm-hmm. The most prominent uh, film awards in Taiwan. Still can't find that here, but there is a series adaptation. We have not watched it. Yeah, we can't vouch for the series, but we loved the movie, and presumably it's going to follow at least some similar beats. So. A lot of people have said that the video game is quite good. I think we've gotten that feedback from people that yeah. this source material is really interesting. Uh, again, we compared the the film version to Guillermo del Toro. Um, it was really effective. It's one of my favorite movies that I saw last year, regardless of released year confusion. And again, whether or not it's even possible to watch. If I wanted to go watch it right now, I don't know how I would. Right. But just putting that on your radar that a couple of Fantasia Fest stuff popped up recently. And we probably will watch it. Yes. The series. The series. I would like to. So at some point, if you're, if you're still on the fence, like w- you can wait for our review, um, probably coming out sometime soon. Yeah. We just gotta make some time for it. Yeah. But definitely go watch Black Island Sound. No buts about that. Until then, you can check us out on our website at NowScreaming.com. And on Twitter and Facebook at NowScreaming. Be sure to leave us a like and a review on your podcatcher of choice. And tell your friends about the podcast. Yeah. It always helps. Yeah, it does. It really does. We love new listenership. Thanks, as always, to Wes Craven and to Mario Bava for making this film despite not being paid, which in his later years he said he made this film as a result of, and I quote, a bet with some Americans. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Thanks for following through. Yeah. Until next time, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.